my partner Brandon Averill today. Disclaimer, Eric April and Brandon April are the co-founders of AWM Capital. Due to industry regulations, it's essential to explicitly state that investment or strategies mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you, and you should discuss your specific situation with a qualified, certified financial planner. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of AWM Capital or its affiliates. For more information, visit athleteceo.com. Taylor, well, I'm excited to have you on the Athlete CEO podcast. This is a fun interview for me uh, for a few different reasons. Number one, we obviously go uh, way back to playing in college, but um, just over years, you know how uh, teammates lose touch, but you get to watch from afar. It's been a lot of fun to just watch your journey and the success that you've had. And uh, before we started chatting, you know, once we press record, just hearing you've got three beautiful children, married, and and life uh, seems good. So thanks for spending some time today with us. Absolutely, man. I was stoked to see your email come through. And like you said, I think we've been circling each other's lives for a long time, going all the way back to the Villa Park Mission Viejo days. So we've, we've existed both alongside each other in life and then obviously the shared experience at ASU. And so definitely have been keeping up with what you've been going on with the Athlete CEO podcast and your finance stuff. So pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Great. Well, I think uh, a fun place to start is just, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on on the transition from sports, but you know, we met at Arizona State. You ended up following, uh, finishing your career at, at UCI, College World Series, drafted New York Yankees. Tell us a little bit about that transition from minor league baseball in into the real world. Yeah, well. Um... As many of us, I'm sure, did. I didn't. I didn't have much say in the transition. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't <laughs> on my terms. But I remember uh, I was at UCI and got the call one day from the head of player development, said that my journey had come to an end. And uh, <laughs> I think at that point, I was definitely left sort of wondering. I had this ideal that I was going to go to law school. I just. I think it was because I was good at arguing, and I thought that that was the right path. Um, so I was finishing up school in the middle of that, and I had a good friend that had been one of my best friends since I was a little kid that was starting a company. And he said, Hey, why don't you come in between classes and help? Uh, you can print, print the orders off of our website and take them to the post office and I'll, I'll pay you some, some money on this and you can help me and my brother get our thing going. And so um, that was my first sort of side gig job that I had and my first experience with a, a startup and that company sort of exploded. And that is how I got really lucky to avoid going to law school because I don't think it would have served me well knowing myself now. Um, but it was, a, it was a rough transition that I would say left me with a lot of life to figure out, as I'm sure it does for many people. And I'm one of those ones that just happened into a really fortunate circumstance to be able to transition somewhat seamlessly. Yeah. So, so you kind of brush over as if it's just some random company in, in a garage, right? That, uh, that didn't end up being successful, but you know, you're, you're talking about power balance. I think, you know, I've read somewhere you guys got up to a, you know, a $60 million company and, and one of your other articles, you had said this was really your business. You know, can you talk yep. about, you know, what that transition was and what you learned coming in completely green, how you guys went from, you know, running postage things out of a, out of a, a 
garage into growing it into the power balance that so many of us remember from seeing Kobe wearing it on the basketball court. Uh, really, it spread yeah. like wildfire. Yeah, man, it was it was a crazy ride. We went from three of us in that garage to sixty million in revenue. We had over a hundred employees at our peak. Got to you know, say I took a BP in a rod batting cage in his front of his house while working on a deal. We brokered deals with Kobe Bryant in China. We had the naming rights to the Sacramento Arena at one point. I mean, it was just it's one of those books that you read about that it was just a totally unpredictable, insane ride and. When it was growing early on, we sort of looked around at each other and said, like, hey, this is a real business. What's your job going to be? What are you going to do? And so because I was the youngest one, they said, well, why don't you handle e-commerce, social media, and athleteship? So basically all the things that they just thought a young person would know how to do. And so for me, that meant Googling, how do I set up a Facebook page? And what is Magento? And Facebook messengers messages to the guys I played Major League Baseball with. And it's funny, I was looking back the other day. And a bunch of those guys, like, it was like Eric Hosmer and a bunch of guys that are now big leaguers, but they were in my minor league class at the time that we were just trying to build relationships with. And um, so through that process, I just, I had a little bit of a chip on because everyone just assumed I was Josh's friend that he had given a job to, and I really wanted to prove myself. Um, and I think growing up playing baseball, which is obviously a pretty data-driven sport, I was wired to think analytically about success. Um, and so digital marketing really became an area that I clung to because every, I knew that if I was given an area of responsibility, you know, maybe it was $1,000 for a marketing campaign, that in order for them to give me more responsibility, I was really going to have to prove that it worked. And so every time I went in with the executives or the management, I always wanted to be able to prove that what I was doing was working. And I learned very quickly on that I had access to data and information that nobody else in the company did through digital. And so I really just poured myself into that um, understanding and got really lucky to end up managing, you know, about a $5 million e-commerce brand, um, about a half a million people on social and um, brokering deals with some of the most incredible athletes in the world. So just got a sandbox to play in that I never would have gotten had I gone to another company and tried to work my way up the ladder. And so because of that, I, I feel super, super blessed for that experience. Yeah, so if I can remember back, I mean, we're talking 2009, 10-ish. Yep. So when you say, you know, digital marketing, social, yeah, that right. was, I mean, it's still, I guess it's common language today, was, but back then, not at all, right. right? No, this was very early days, like organic Facebook posts and some Google search was really just beginning to take off. Um, but building like none of the sort of templated e-commerce sites like Shopify or WordPress really existed. So it was cumbersome development, um, but a lot of like true organic social. There was still a bunch of organic reach on Facebook back then. But it was early days, man. I, I had only had my Facebook page for a few years. Really, this was like every step of the way was Googling, how do I do this? And so it was just learning. But again, no, there would have been no company in the world that would have hired me as a social media expert because I but what it gave me was just an environment to go and learn. As long as I kept feeding, like every time I had a question, I went and found the answer to it pretty quickly in a world that was really, I was one of the people that knew much more about this than everybody else. And so in that sense, I got really lucky, lucky by opting into sort of an industry that was growing to what it is now, time before anybody else really knew what they were doing. Yeah. And so, you know, bring us through, 
obviously power balance, you're doing it there. You start to develop this expertise. I know we'll get into this as a lot of your background of what made you guys passionate about starting your own agency. What was your yep. experience, you know, working with agencies while you were at power balance? Yeah, it's funny. So yeah, I had hired many agencies and I was the worst in the world. I was such a pain in the ass <laughs> I, I, because it literally, um, I was the person that if you were billing us on hours, I wanted line item reports of everything that you were doing because it just felt I I didn't at that point understand really that sort of service business. And I wanted to make every dollar work for me. Um, and so I was the worst, but we had some incredible partners that looking back on it did such a good job of supporting us and caring about us. And that's, I think the biggest takeaway that I learned is that when I reflect on, so people in particular, like, Kelly Rapuano and Zubin Malavi, if you're listening, like such a good job of caring for us and me and my relationship in such a way that it really set the standard and looking back and really what inspired me to want to go start my own agency in service of other people, in service of their dreams and the ability to help them grow something for people that poured into me and really know a lot, but genuinely cared about what we were trying to do. Um, and that was sort of the first experience I had of like just learning about what it meant to be a partner with a vendor. Um, and figuring out and not making it like this confrontational relationship, but really trying to be for each other in a way that uh, builds good partnership. Yeah, I think that that that's huge. Um, so tell me a little bit about the journey uh, from Power Balance to what you guys are doing today. So from there, I went and joined a, a bigger marketing agency. Actually, one of the the people that was our our client, and I just thought, oh, I'll take the same things I learned and I'll go do them for bigger businesses and. That'll be fun. But I quickly learned that when you're dealing with sort of big business, if you will, that they don't move at the same pace as a startup. And it was very frustrating for me. Um, and at one point, I found myself doing like email drip campaigns for ERP systems. And I was like, man, I'm losing my mind. What is this? <laughs> and so I think, <laughs> I think, you know, in Orange County, there are a lot of financial tech and industries that are huge and really uh, incredible, but just not my passion. Um, and so I think I, I lost a little bit of that. I got some great opportunities at the, that agency and deeply passionate about the people there that I worked with. But at that same time, my partner, Jordan Palmer, who played eight years in the NFL, also sort of an athlete founder, had just been released. And he came to me with a project for an apparel company um, that was in the baseball world. And um, he, he wanted help with his friend's project. And so he and I started working on this together. And what we quickly realized is that Jordan and I are sort of a perfect complement for each other and that Jordan is a world-class networker. He can walk any into any room and be the person that people want to talk to um, and just knows everybody from his experience. And I'm the guy that likes to sit behind the computer and work. And so it was like, hey, there's something here where we think we could bring our unique set of resources um, in the world where you can find great companies and I can help them um, based on my experience. So that was the start of uh, our agency at the time we called ourselves the arch network and we basically did consulting for a lot of businesses uh, spent a couple of years inside of evo shield really um, basically as their in-house marketing leads really working on that business which was you know in the baseball world a lot of fun um, and then you know after doing the consulting thing we sort of that hey uh, you know consulting's cool but you're still sort of dependent on other people to bring your ideas to life and you're really limited in what you can do and so our third partner, Josh Redarmel, who was the founder of Power Balance, he had married um, a woman by the name of Natalie Goldis, who plays on the LPGA Tour, and he had spent a couple years caddying for her, 
um, after Power Balance. And then he came back and so the three of us sort of got together and said, hey, Josh, you know, you have the operational experience of building and growing a business. I know how to do the strategy and work and Jordan knows how to find clients. Let's turn this into a real business and grow it. And so Josh really helped us set the foundation for building the operational infrastructure of what is now Common Thread Collective. Um, and Jordan continued to find the clients and I continued to figure out how we could do the work. And so that's been the foundation of a great partnership that's led us to, to what we are now, which is an online sales agency where we help some of the best e-commerce brands in the world sell products on the internet. Man, wow. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd seen on your website recently, you guys had been named one of Inc.'s 500 fastest growing companies. And so I think it, what I loved about, I watched the video you did, um, and I just thought it was super tasteful and um, just representative of, of who you are as a person. And I imagine your partners that you were just sharing a lot of, it really is about the team and it is kind of your guys' secret yeah. sauces empowering your employees. Can you talk about, you know, what the original vision was and where you are today and, and totally. recap that. Yeah, that's so good. Um, so when we started, we always had this dream of going back and being able to build our own brands. Um, and we just knew that like when we were at Power Balance, we lived at the office. It was like we were all single guys and that we were young. We had nothing other, no other responsibilities in life. And so that was just all we did. We knew now I'm married with three kids. Jordan's married with a kid and another one doing a couple of days. And Josh is like, our lives were different. We weren't available for that same thing anymore. So we wanted to build this sort of ecosystem of things that would help us to build and launch brands more efficiently. And so we started out thinking that the agency would just be this small group of people that would exactly service our own brands that we would launch. Um, and so we started out with this mission and vision of helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams through the service business. And then also in own brands, that was sort of our dream that would come to life. And that's the case. Josh is now off and running four by 400 and we have three of our own brands in market. Um, and rad things going on there. But what we did on the agency side was that by developing a culture of people who are empowered to dream about what they want for their own future and what they want for their careers, those dreams back into your organization. And you have people that come up with ideas to take your businesses way beyond where I, I ever thought to take it. And so we do now feel a responsibility to helping those people, which are our own internal people, succeed in a way that their dreams now align with making CTC bigger and more awesome than we imagined it. And so even though it may meet my individual dream to build a branding department within our agency, there are people here who have that dream. And I am excited to see it fostered and grow. And so the reason CTC has grown you know, up now to almost 60 people is that we've sort of just allowed our people the space and freedom to take it beyond what we think it is. And so now rad group of people who have visions for our company that are just bigger than we have and we just encourage them and keep feeding them the ability to keep dreaming um and and we'll see where it takes it our job is to continue to foster the environment where that can happen and then allow them to come up with the ideas and opportunities to make this place cool yeah i think that's so powerful being being a business owner and and as you grow you know you read a lot of stuff like that in books of you know empower your people you know, right, right. environment that that motivated people can thrive in. And it's just to see right. a living, tangible example that goes um, that you guys were secure enough as the partners to say, yeah, we have a vision, but we are not only are we going to allow we want um, 
it to grow beyond that. And I just think that that's a, a good, I guess, advice to our entrepreneurs and to our founders that are listening of saying like, really your biggest power are your people and don't be afraid of what they want to do, you know? And, and I would even add, Eric, like, honestly, it's really self-serving because the days I'm most exhausted and most discouraged are the days that I feel that this whole thing is most dependent on me. Hmm. And by actually putting it into the hands of other people, for me as the CEO or leader, like, it is so freeing to realize that the system doesn't depend on me. Like, that there are incredibly capable, intelligent people here that can take this thing and make it awesome. And our success and failure doesn't only depend on me. Like, those are the days I feel like this weight of the world on my shoulders. And so I would say as an entrepreneur, the more that you hand the reins to your people, the more freedom you'll experience, like that it isn't actually about me. And so I think that's like, I carried so much stress for a long, long time um, about feeling responsible for the outcomes. And then by realizing like that there were a bunch of people that wanted to partner with me in that burden, like it was, it has brought me such immense freedom in this. And so I would just say that like, while it feels like this sacrificial or really generous thing to do, it's actually incredibly self-serving yeah. that um, by allowing them that space, it serves, serves me to have immense freedom uh, in where we're headed. Man. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. It's uh, you're right. You carry such a burden and something you talked about of just life stage, right? That you and yeah. your partners are now married and kids and things like that is I, just a question there as far as, you know, everybody asks balance, right? I don't think balance is a real thing. It's priority management, but talk about how you're handling your health and, and, and employees and everything that you're doing and growing as a company. How are you managing that? Yeah. So the first thing is, is when we started the, uh, our agency, we used to have this mission statement that was, we wanted to be the best in the world at selling products online. Um, and six months into running the company, I realized that I was frustrated with our behavior because it wasn't mapping towards that value. And so one day, me and my partners, we sat down and we said, we need to be the best in the world at something. And so we, we literally wrote on a board, who are the best in the world at things? And so uh, you mentioned it. I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan, and this was sort of at, at the tail end of his career. But so we said Kobe Bryant. And what we realized was that the path that Kobe had to take to be the best in the world was at the sacrifice of relationship. It was at the sacrifice of friendship. It was at the sacrifice of any other time, and honestly, at the cost of family. And we looked at each other, and we said, we actually aren't willing to make that sacrifice. Wow. So what that led us to was adjusting our mission statement to actually be more aligned with behaviors we were willing to offer. And so that's where we got to this place of our actual goal is about helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams and investing in other people. And that switch was incredibly important for thinking about priorities and balance is that instead of holding this thing over our heads and then feeling bad that we weren't achieving it because it wasn't actually what we really wanted, we let go of this sort of like cultural thing that like told us we had to be the best in the world at something, which is an athlete. I think there's a lot of pressure for that, right? We actually said, no, 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 let's throw that away. Let's have an honest conversation about what we really want. And the reality is we want to go home and be with our kids. We want to spend time with our wives. Like those are important values to us. But that means that that may come at a trade-off, that there may be someone who's willing to sacrifice in that in the name of success that we aren't. And so by accepting that and being okay with us, it gave us freedom to rethink how we use our money, how we care for our people, how we allow space for each other as partners to go and 
you know, my partner Josh is in the process of adopting a kid right now from Africa and it's been a mess and he's had to go spend a ton of time over there. And for us, it's like, go, you know, go because, because we've reached this place about understanding what it is that we want from each other that early on, like created a lot of friction. So I would say that's been the biggest thing about understanding balance is actually sitting down, having honest conversation about what we want and how your values map and behavior. Wow. I mean, that was, <laughs> well, I think it's, it's just crazy enlightening, right? Is I think you're as an athlete, you're so driven to want to be the best. And then even yeah. I think as an athlete and dealing with our guys who are, you know, we've got a guy who's probably going to win the Cy Young here shortly, you know, is once you realize chasing best is it's so subjective um, as opposed to like what's going to bring you purpose and what's going to bring you value. And then really aligning yourself yep. according to that, because, because that's what we actually want as people. Totally. And, right. And companies are just yep. a, a collection of people. And so the clearer you can get totally. on that, you know, you get to enjoy life as opposed to um, this whole notion of like time off, right. Is, is as if the time at work right. has to be dreadful and it doesn't, you know, I think that that's a, it's a lie totally. that you, you're chasing somebody else's race. And so just having those conversations early on, man, that's, that's awesome that you guys are doing that. Um, so transitioning to some advice for the athlete, you work with brands like North Face and, and Quelo and, and Lulu, and, and you represent a lot of these companies. And for the athlete who's looking at marketing off the field or, where, you know, the term influencers yeah. thrown around. And I know you guys did an, uh, an article yeah. on like more famous, the professional athlete or the influencer is, can you talk about here you right. are spending money for companies? Like who are they trying to align mm -hmm. themselves with and what makes you attractive is as an athlete? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's such a great question. I think that the number one thing I would do is just audit your own life and what you care about. Like, because just like anything, if you actually, and I know this is, this is sort of cliche to say, that, but if you authentically act the thing that you're promoting or marketing or advertising, um, it's going to be really much more meaningful, right? And so I think that if you think about whether it's, you know, Mark Lynch and Skittles or these things that are born out of genuine appreciation for the product, like we have this, one of our values at CTC is that there's room in marketing for the truth. And it's <laughs> born out of like our just genuine disdain for Michael Jordan advertising for McDonald's. It's like, I think that's one of like the roots of the destruction of culture is this idea that like, greatest athlete eats Big Macs is like so counterproductive to our society. <laughs> like, and so this, this, this question, and the reality is as athletes, like there's lots of things at your home. I guarantee you there's some stupid blender or some like stock company that you genuinely go out and spend a bunch of money on. Like, that you should, and my partner Jordan's actually really, really great. That he runs like quarterback camps um, for a lot of these young quarterbacks when he trains them, and he has done this. He has gone and audited the things in his life that he loves. So he's obsessed with these things called like Lumi Juice. Uh, he rides a Peloton every day. That in his own life, and that he has gone to the brand. Oh, another one, Kids Bop. You have kids. I don't know if you know what Kids Bop is, but oh, Kids yeah. Bop is basically the pop radio station for kids that plays like pop hits. Jordan's an ambassador for them because what he did is he called them and he said, look, I listen to your all day, every day, and I care about you. And I'm going to talk about you on social, whether you like it or not. 
help empower me to do that better on behalf of your brand. And you know what? The brand is stoked. He was front row the other day with his kid because he's created a relationship where he says, I deeply care about this thing. I value it. And I want to help to make the brand better. Like for a brand to get a call would be incredible. So I would say like genuinely audit the things that you are deeply passionate about and then figure out a way to tell people about it. Cause I guarantee you're doing it in your everyday life. And I think that the brand that, that, and the relationships of influencers that work best are the ones that are actually connected to your true passion. So that's what, and that's a really hard thing to identify as a marketing agent. A lot of times what we're trying to do is like we're building libraries of like, Hey, if we see someone posting or talking about things, we'll actually take those as ways that we can then go to brands and be like, look at this group of you have um, that actually work, which is why like our data, so we do a lot of Facebook advertising. And what we've seen more and more today is that the best influencers are actually power users of the product more so than famous people that you pay to talk about it. Like if you could get a video, like if I could pay for a video between some celebrity who knows how to say the name of the brand and doesn't really care about it versus like the person who spent the most money on your product over the last 12 months. And as an advertiser, you said, I'm from the celebrity or from that power user. I'll take the power user all day because it's real. Um, and that is way more powerful. Now, when you can combine those, you can combine influence with actual authentic care. Like that's when sort of the magic happens. Wow. So that's fascinating. You know, I think it, it makes so much sense because we all we all usually choose our stuff based off the recommendation right of a yeah, friend exactly. or someone that you trust and so we can tell when it's authentic or it's not and what's interesting totally. is a lot of the conversations i have with our clients is you know they're they find it really difficult to create content for some of their strategic partners or or their endorsements Whereas what I hear you saying is, it's like, no, if you're already an advocate, you're already using it, you're not going to have to think through how do I create right. content, you know? Um, now, exactly. To, you're just going to tell your story. Yeah. And so what would you say to, I mean, the short answer is I know what you would tell eight, like sports agents, but, you know, should yeah. players, should be, should players really be reaching out to brands that they love and, you know, I heard you say, like, if you're a company, they would love to actually hear from people like that is, you know. Yeah. It, yeah, I know that. And it's counter. And this is part of it is that the, the dynamic of the marketplace has such been that the athlete has to be right. And I, I just think that, like, taking control of your own life and the stories that you want to tell about your life. Like my experience with the agents has been that they look at it and go, let's look at all the big product categories. Let's look at the Procter and Gamble categories, the auto category, the shoe category, and let's make sure we go and maximize the revenue in each of these individual categories. And that's great. And I get it. And I understand that the incentives are sort of aligned to go chase those big dollars. But I think it just comes down to, again, what is your goal and how do you like, what is your values and where did you, how do you align your behavior to it? And if, if your goal is to maximize the revenue and earning from a brand, then that can be the pathway to it. And I'm not even saying necessarily that that's wrong. I think it just comes, especially for the smaller athletes, the one who don't have Nike lining up to offer them a grip of money or Chevy, or, you know, there's no state farm deal coming for everybody, anybody, but Aaron Rodgers and Chris Paul, right? That you would be shocked to find how out, how much it means to a young brand to know that you love their product um, and the, how far you can get in chip with them. I'll give you a perfect example. So Kalo early on 
when we identified CrossFit as the community that uh, we wanted to go into, like we had a friend, his name's Paul Gomez. He was one of the founders of a big uh, supplement company that was really embedded in that, co- that culture. And we went to him and we said, you know, Paul, who are the people affected in this community who really care about the community? And how do we build a relationship with them? Um, and he gave us the name of a guy named Jason Kalipa. And Jason at the time was no longer being an individual. He wasn't like the face, he wasn't Rich Froning, he wasn't the face of the sport. He had been a previous champion. But Jason and I and Jordan really sat down and built a meaningful connection where we as the brand felt cared for by him, the influencer. And so what we wanted to do was empower him to keep doing what he was doing. And so we paid him way more money than we really worth relative to his status because he he made us feel great about his, his care of our product. And like that, and especially in an early stage company can go so far. And then if that company grows, you're in a position to maintain the relationship. And so I think that um, you have to be realistic about your capacity to bring value to the brand and how much you're going to be courted and chased after and where there's an opportunity to reach out and be like, Hey, look, look, I'm a huge, genuine fan of what you are. My wife, you know, makes smoothies on your blender. Just to stick with the blender metaphor here every single morning. Can we tell stories about that for you? Like you'll be hard pressed to find the brand being too resistant to the idea of you telling stories. You love them. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so, so good. So powerful. I think, uh, not, not just our athletes are going to take a lot of this, but just even companies, right? This is what you do is you tell stories yeah. and you're, you're helping, um, e-commerce companies, you know, obviously reach their customers who, who can make those purchases. Yep. One of the other things is I, I love your guys' little video blog that, that you guys have going on. Like I could watch these videos for days, but one of the, the the more interesting ones, and this is, you know, this is a podcast about investing at times, but this kind of parallels yep. to asking about platforms is you did a video right after Facebook's earnings call, right? That, that people were frantically worried that Facebook was just going to plummet here um, with the privacy yep. stuff and, and just their, you know, new users percentage was shrinking. Can you talk about what platforms are relevant and specifically for sure. influencers, if you're an athlete, where should they be focusing their time? Yeah. So this is the, this is, that. and what I would say is that follow, if you're an influencer, follow the dollars, the advertising dollars and spend your time where the advertising dollars, because that's where brands are investing to put and promote audience. And so what I would say is the number one platform in the world for advertising is Facebook. So Facebook also owns Instagram. So Instagram is the highest engagement. It's the best sort of like ongoing community where you should be putting out content all day, every day. But if you have a massive Facebook following and understand how to engage on that platform, specifically around products like Facebook Live, or you're good at creating video, like the quickest way to creating value for a brand who really understands what they're doing in e-commerce is by having that community and it's the single most neglected one that every celebrity tends to ignore. Um, they sort of think it's past day and they think that that's where not where the kids are and Snapchat and blah, 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 blah. That all of the ad dollars are on Facebook. So all of the ad dollars are on Facebook and Instagram. And so I think that there's a huge, and also like if you want support book internal, which is a giant, powerful machine, like if you invest in the things that they care about. So when they release a new product, so like when IG stories comes out, or me comes out. If you invest in 
aligning what you care about with what these mega platforms care about, they're going to support and provide additional distributions of the content you're creating. The other thing to keep your eye on, follow the ad dollars and follow what the platforms are investing their time and money talking about. And if you can align with those things, then you're going to have the biggest potential push and back from the, from the brands and the dollars that they're using and the platforms themselves. So that's, that's the big advice I would say that oftentimes gets neglected when people think about sort of following the trends a little more. Yeah, no, su- super helpful. Um, as far as if somebody's trying to like learn strategy and read about this stuff, what are some resources that you appoint them to to know where are they investing their money? And is there kind of a go-to resource that people should be paying attention to? Sure. As a brand? Yeah, as a brand or and then an individual. maybe answer for an influencer as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, we have we have a great blog uh, that we love. But man, there, there are so many, so many good resources online um, in terms of just, just being able to. A couple of my favorite blog, or things right now are newsletters. Um, so there's two great ones that I'll give you right now. One is called Lean Lux. Um, that's L-E-A-N-L-U-X-E. It's a weekly newsletter on sort of all insider information on some of the coolest, particularly fashion and apparel companies and what's going on in that world. Um, and then the second one is called 2PML.com. So it's a, uh, it goes out three times a week and it comes at two o'clock. It's all insider e-commerce news. But a lot of that has to do with this space that we call DNVBs or digitally native vertical brands. So these are like all the cool, hot e-com startups. And as an agent, Another thing I would tell you, or as an athlete, is that like these, those two insider articles will give you insights into what all the hot up-and-coming brands are, where there's opportunity that I guarantee you they don't have a ton of influencer relationships yet, or they're all looking to go out and make them. They're just starting to get their dollars. There's a lot of information about finding who just raised their big venture round, which is another thing I would be very in tune with if I was an agent. But um, So those two resources are... They're, they get delivered to your inbox, which means you don't have to go hunt for the information. You can source through it. It's aggregated and curated content, and they're super, super powerful. They're one of my couple of my favorite reads. All right, you you said a few things in there that that we'll park on. We're going to get to the venture capital comment. Uh, yeah. So, well, let, let's just start there because my brain's swirling. You know, we're obviously an investment firm. We've yep. got a venture fund that that yep. we believe in strongly. Talk to me why you would park there awesome. as an agent and what opportunities are available for, for athletes. Yeah. So, so one, so from the, from the marketing dollar side, what I'll say is that traditionally, like, especially with a CA round or a first, um, like one of the early financing rounds, not seed necessarily, but one of the early series A or B, a lot of that capital is growth capital, right? It's indication that the brand is having some level of success and they're really looking to scale which a lot of times those dollars are going to go into advertising. So if you take an example, like a brand like Kim's right now, right? Who just, I think last week closed a hundred million dollar round. They can't spend marketing dollars fast enough. Like they are growing so fast. They literally have billboard station. They're spending tons on pay. Like they cannot spend it fast enough. If I'm an agent, what that means is that like there's this company is looking to spend. I'm not going to have to fight with them over whether advertising is worth it or not, right? Because you want to be going with the flow. You don't want to be convincing someone to advertise. You want to be partnering with people who are advertising, right? And so I think that's just a great signal that the brand's in a good position and that putting your client on their radar or as an influencer being on their radar um, is super, super helpful. Um, and then from the investment side, I think I would, like, 
if you truly are interested in being, you know, a player in the investment space, understanding like what is happening with finance and being able to see like which categories and industries are raising a bunch of money. Obviously, e-com is super hot right now. A lot of consumer products on the internet are raising tons of money, Allbirds and Brandlist and Casper and all these different things. Have a base level understanding of those categories because what it's going to open up, I guarantee you, is new areas for you to think about that you didn't before. Like tradition, especially in sports, so many of the dollars are tied up in, you know, beverage and CPG and like, like these traditional categories that just having eyes on what's up and coming is so helpful for so many reasons. And to put back to your finance guide and be able to say like, hey, are there opportunities here for me to be involved in any of these in a meaningful way? And maybe one of them is a brand that you really love. Maybe you are that Peloton rider and you realize that they're just raising a grip of money and you're curious if there's a way for you to get involved in it because you're passionate about it. So there's so many good Crunchbase is another great resource to sort of be on and, and reading. So I, if you care about this at all as an athlete, like there's so much there that could really help you to differentiate yourself to a brand um, from, from so many other, so many other influencers. Yeah. So, so I know, I know the natural question from our listeners are going to be, okay, I hear, I hear Taylor talking about, he works with e-commerce brands who is your guys' yep. ideal client? I know this is nowhere, like you never said, hey, Eric, can we pitch my company? But it's natural to go, no, like, yeah. Taylor knows what he's doing. He's launched his own company twice. You know, like who yeah. are your guys' ideal clients? And then, you know, maybe we'll address, do you guys work with individual influencers? Or if it's not you, is there yep. something you appoint them to? Yeah, absolutely. So great, great question. So at, at Common Thread Collective, our core um, clientele, I would say, is e-commerce brands doing north of $2 million. They're spending anywhere north of $30,000 a month in paid media. Like, Common Thread Collective is a great resource for you. Um, we also have a division of our business called 4x4, where we actually build and launch our own brands and also partner with or acquire existing brands. So if you're a solo entrepreneur and you've got a great product and you're looking for an ecosystem or resource to help you grow, we could also help in that way. And then in terms of individual influencers, we're not a representation agent, but what we will do is help. We have a library of awesome brands um, that if you um, are interested in sort of who we work with and what the potential is for us to bring opportunities to you on behalf of our clients, we always are interested in that, especially for people who are like actually interested in creating and telling stories. Um, if that's if that's you and you enjoy make, creating content uh, through your handles, we would love to to talk with you, and we can definitely bring deals to you as they come into us. So I'd say that's the three three sort of areas that, that I think we could potentially be helpful with. Man, that's yeah, no, that's that's super helpful. Um, for you, is is a company that has experienced you know, raising capital, whether it's a seed round or a family and friends, and just how do you look about investing? Obviously the venture world, um, the word venture is risk, you know, like how do you think yeah. through that and what opportunities are attractive to you and, and how do you, you know, how do you go about yeah. making your decisions? Totally. So one thing too, that I'll say is because we did just finish raising um, a round of financing for four by 400. And as an athlete, what I'll say is that over 50% of the round that we raise from people from in our network is playing as athletes. And so one of the things that, and this happened in my first year at Powerball Institute, was like, do not underrate the ecosystem of people that you're developing relationships 
with while you're playing. Like the best thing that my partner Jordan did was that in his eight years in the NFL, he understood entirely that the most money he would make was going to be in the relationships he was going to develop. Not as he was never going to be a superstar quarterback, and he learned that early on. Um, so I would say that, like, just as a note for your community, that has come back to be an immense value. Like one of our biggest financiers was one of the biggest alumni at UCI. It was a huge fan that we had developed a relationship with. So there's so much that network outside of what you're doing right now that that's just a, a huge note that I'll throw out that I think is relevant for your community. Um, and then in terms of venture, so the way that we, we think about it and, and we actually, we've spent a lot of time developing a deep expertise in a pretty narrow industry. So we have an ecosystem that is all about helping people scale selling products on the internet, specifically products into like sort of an active lifestyle consumer base. You know, we launched Halo uh, in partnership with the, their founders. So we have a lot of experience with that sort of demographic, obviously power balance, um, and now some of our own brands where um, we have built everything that we do around a very specific subset and criteria. Uh, so basically what, I, what I'm saying is that we believe that in investing, like our opportunities to create an informational and expertise advantage in the things that we So I'm never going to be investing in a restaurant. So while, yes, we still take venture bets, meaning that they're early stage, high risk, low, low probability of success, we try and mitigate that as much as we can by understanding what we're great at. And like, like I got a call the other day and was on, I took the call because I'm an idiot and sometimes I get excited about a tequila company and that's, we're looking at the thing and at the end of it, it's like, no, like shiny light syndrome, we reject you. Like that's not who we are. Like staying in our lane and understanding what we're really great at, which is, you know, consumer products that active lifestyle somewhere between 50 and $150 with 75 points of margin. Like we have all this really set criteria around the products that we think are great and that we can be effective in selling. And so by constantly identifying that, checking ourselves against it and having those guardrails really helps us avoid getting into stuff that we don't understand. Man, there's a, a lot of wisdom in there just of no having criteria, right? You talked about guardrails yeah. and process and, we know this inherently as athletes, right? Of, of, I can't do yep. everything. I can't play all nine positions, right? But yep. I know within my skill set what I'm really good at doing. And if I hone my craft, I'm going to have a lot of success there, right? It's not everybody can do yep. it, but yep. you're, you're gifted. And it's the same thing for you guys. You guys live in such a lane that you do have better information than we do. We, you have, you know, more expertise. Exactly. Yep. So especially in this venture world, it's, it's so interesting that I'll watch, um, I'll watch other athletes or, or high net worth people make investments across 30 different industries. And you sit there and you go, right. you actually have no additional expertise. And so I think that that's really wise, right. especially guys in the clubhouse, when deals are coming into the clubhouse, it's like, if you or the team yeah, that's doesn't have expertise, like do not go near right. it. You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of value. Right. And then what you said about building relationships, we had our, our previous guest on here a couple episodes ago, Ryan Neese played seven years in the NFL. And that was the same thing as going during your career, you can get access to anyone, you know, and, and realize yeah, exactly. value that you're going to have long-term. So I just think that's, it's really smart to, to cultivate relationships. Yeah. yeah, and I would say like that. What you just said was such a great point is that the access to resources that you 
people underappreciate, whether it's stupid things like rookie symposiums or like stuff that may feel uncool at the time. Like, man, that is the thing to fight the idea that it's not cool to go be a, a part of it and be a part of the community. Jordan, one of the best things he did, he did all the like NFL, Stanford business schools and Harvard business school things that he would go to for three weeks. And same thing, those are all people that when we wanted to raise money, they were there. They were resources for so many different things that by just because he was like, I'm in the NFL and they're offering me three weeks at Stanford business school for free. Like I'm an idiot not to go and do that. Like, take advantage of every free resource that's available to you to build your network and community while you have it. Cause it's short lived, man. Right. It's, it's crazy. And I think that that's what the NFL and the NBA has done better than the MLB is like the yeah. MLB, there's there's no Stanford program, right? There's no Chicago Booth program. There's no, you know, right. whatever, Kellogg management program. There's no Yale. There's no Princeton. There's none of those. Whereas, right. But what I told players, I was literally sitting down with a guy who, he's already been an all-star. I mean, he's a, he's a giant of the name in the baseball world. And what, we're sitting at Bulletproof Coffee in, in L.A. And it's so funny having these conversations because – he loves Bulletproof, right? And he's like, but he didn't have a deal with Bulletproof. Right. And so he's he's paying for all of their products and he's got some other supplement company giving yep. him product, right, that he didn't use. Um, but right. I, I told him, I said, hey, well, there's no Stanford program. If you're interested in something, you could probably just contact that company in the off season and say, hey, I want to come spend a day or two to learn about what you're doing. Every single CEO and company would totally. like die to have this guy hanging around. And so I just think it's, totally. it's getting creative. And he was like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, like literally put a list together of three to five companies in the off season that you're interested in. I exactly, probably yeah. hang out. Exactly. I guarantee you the CEO or if not the CEO, the CMO is going to love sitting down with you and you making him feel important. Like, because like sometimes I'm, like they underrate the celebrity status that they have in sport in terms of gaining information in a way that like as soon as it's gone that that email might not get answered <laughs> as quickly like that's I think that you know the thing that's the trade off is making time to sit down and go you know it's it's cool like we we helped um, Jordan's brother Carson with his marketing early on and that was one of the main things like as he knew he had about a couple years left in his career it was like okay what are the industries that you care about it was hunting and golf. And these things that it was like, okay, we're going to start making introductions for you to all the brands and the people and the investment groups and the relationship so that when you get out of here, you can use the fact that you still are the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals to set you up for when you're not. Because the, the calls will be answered way better now, even though I know it's not your focus in this thing, like being willing to put in a little bit of time to set yourself up for when it's not the case is, is really critical. Yeah, no doubt. Well, be, being sensitive uh, to time, which I, I really appreciate you, you know, setting aside so much is we have a few rapid For questions sure, we ask that are just fun. Um, it, Do it. First, you know, if you can think about, is there a certain failure or a parent failure that you experienced that you now look back on and go, I'm so glad I went through that because that's actually set yep. me up to be successful? Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about the reason I failed at baseball, it was because I could. What I mean by that is that like I had so many options if I failed that like it wasn't if I succeed. And when I looked around at some of the guys I played with from the Dominican or these other things, like there was nothing else. And so I think that that's taught me a lot about this idea of like, like 
the, you know, the burning the boats mentality where it's like, when I find something that I genuinely want to go for, how am I creating a situation and construct where success is absolutely necessary? I used to have this Batman fixture on my laptop that was sort of this indicative of that scene where he has to jump out of the cave, you know, and the only way to do it is to get rid of the rope and make the jump. And I really believe that is that like, if you can fail, you will. And so figuring out um, sort of how you remove that constraint from yourself to actually go for it and really like let go of everything. It's my biggest regret about baseball is that I didn't approach it with this mindset that if I'm going to be here, I'm going to do it and I'm going to have to succeed. I kept thinking about what else I could be doing. And I think it ultimately cost me an opportunity uh, to maybe make it further. So that, that's what I think I learned from that experience that has been helpful now. Man, I think that... I think that is so true, right? It's especially as an athlete when everybody would love to say, oh, we've got no regrets. But when I start right. to think of you, usually when you talk to guys that are on the bubble, we always say like the minute you got yep. a foot out the door, you're done. You're, you're done. You know? Yep, exactly. That's, that's yep. good. Uh, kind of favorite books, podcasts, resources that, uh, that you're, reading through now or listening to, or maybe ones that have had the biggest impact on you, anything come to mind? Um, yeah. So I would say the last, uh, the last couple of books I read in since the athlete CEO podcast, I read, uh, um, the hard thing about hard things from Ben Horowitz, which was just an awesome read, super challenging. Um, I think there's so many hard that you, you have to make in this position. And like, he just lays it out in such a, such an inspiring way um so i really appreciate it appreciate that i'm a huge fan of um how i built this which is a podcast um by reed hoffman from linkedin um those are those are a couple of resources and then the newsletters i threw out those are sort of the coming off the top of my head the, the things i've listened to most recently or read yeah no that's those are those are helpful and for the listeners i'll put all of these in the show notes everything that taylor's mentioned we'll make sure we have links in it it's easy for you guys to be able to find um, last question is, you know, if you could think of the best or the most worthwhile investment that you've made, whether it's investment of money, your time, your effort, yeah. a conversation, what, what's had the biggest impact on your life? Yeah. So we have, um, a program at CTC that we offer our employees called TMYD, uh, which is dreams and we basically we invested in a full-time therapist on staff that every one of our employees goes to every other week for minutes um, and it's a nine-month program that they go through to uh, help them identify what it is that their dream is for their life and then holding them accountable to making progress towards it and this comes at a genuine actual cost to my pocket like the hiring and investment in this person in this program is money that I do not pay myself um, but it has absolutely been the, of everything I talked about when we were asking the question about the Inc. 500 of how did we fuel a culture where people are empowered to dream? We invested in a space for them to do it. And we actually, hey, you're going to go to this and you're going to, I don't care if your dream is to go be a zookeeper and it has nothing to do with CTC. This is your space to go be selfish. And I really believe that at a company, like the relationship between you and your employees has to be symbiotic where if I'm going to ask you to help me achieve my dream, I have to exist in service of yours. Um, and that has been absolutely essential driver to our culture. You know, you know, that's a few hundred thousand dollars that I don't get to put in my bank account, but what it's had in terms of 
of an impact and taking our business to a place that we didn't think it could go has been just absolutely immeasurable. Well, I think that might be uh, the best sales pitch of why to come to work for you guys. (laughs) Do it. Do it. Where, like, how did you guys come about that? Did you hire an outside group? Like, tell me a little bit more about that. We started, we sat around together, like when we were really early on and we said like, why will people come work for us? Like we, we, in Orange County, like the best company, like Stamp has the raddest office and a full-time chef. There's all the, you know, Hurley's and Quicksilver's and like big rad companies. Why would anybody just, why would a really talented person come choose to work for CTC? Because at the time we couldn't afford to pay them more than anybody else. We didn't have better benefits. And so the answer that we came up with was that we thought we could care for everybody else. Like that was the variable we could control. And so we, ha- we knew we were going to have to continually put our money where our mouth is on that. And so we came up with this idea of saying like that we would put real money and dollars towards their development of their career in a way that would be different than other places. And so it was a recruiting strategy early on that we had to try and answer that question of why would somebody come work for us? And your response just there is exactly what the benefit was people going, I've got to go work there because they're caring about me. Um, and so that way we win against the chefs and big salaries and cool offices. Um, and so we, we started our own, we ran the program ourselves. Like we would meet with our employees and do it. And then we realized that like we weren't totally equipped for it. Um, and so we sought um, professional help and I'm lucky enough to have a brother-in-law who's a marriage and family therapist who um, had a dream for starting a company that he activate culture which is all about leadership development. So I partnered with him in the development of the program and he manages it and runs it for our employees. So um, it's been a journey to get there. In the beginning, it was just sort of us taking time out of our day to go sit with people um, and hear about what they wanted for their life that now has developed into something something bigger. Man, well, that's awesome, dude. Well, uh, I think that's a good place to end with. Uh, if people are gonna wanna know where can they where can they learn more about you Common Thread Collective, wh- where can they apply for jobs now that everybody's going to want to work for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, commonthreadco.com can get you to all those things. We have a cool podcast called Threading the Needle if you want to look that up on iTunes. And I'm just Taylor Holiday on any any social platform. Awesome. Well, thanks, Taylor, for, for spending the afternoon with us. It's uh, fun. And, and congrats on all the success and continued success. Thanks, buddy. It was great catching up. I appreciate the time and thoughtfulness of what you're doing. Take care. Yeah. And uh, for listeners, thank you for uh, spending an hour with us. And uh, we will be next back next week with another episode on the Athlete CEO Podcast. Mm-hmm.